Well, praise the Lord, that's a good song, isn't it? Great message there. Good job doing it, too. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles again. And we've been at it a bunch over here in this section, but Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I got thinking today as I was reviewing over all of this, I thought to myself, I wonder how uh, weary folks have gotten with the summaries that I give each week. And then I thought to myself, I could probably go back and start at the beginning of just this section, preach it all over again, and some of you would go, man, that was good. Because you want to know why? Because probably we could repeat this over and over and over again every single day for the rest of the year, and we probably would never really uh, run, you know, we'd never, we'd never um, grow weary of it. If, you know, I mean, there's just so much in it. And we're dealing with sin every single day of our life. I mean, I think we could afford to hear some of this, and, and I'm glad that you've not grown weary of it. You're still here, and um, that says something about you. Romans chapter 6, and we, get, we start in verse 6 through 7, and again, we've been dealing with this aspect of sin, dealing with sin, and boy, I'll tell you what, sin is something that's got to be dealt with, amen? And so we look at Romans chapter 6, And in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, the Bible says this. It says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? He that is dead is freed from sin, and yet that's exactly what the Bible says your status is and mine is. We died with Christ on Calvary. We're dead in that regard. And as a result of that, uh, sin should not have dominion over us. And we should not serve sin then. We know, however, although the fact is is that we're dead with Christ on Calvary, we understand this reality that we died with Him. Therefore, we are free from sin. We also know that that old flesh is hanging around, don't we? Man, I'll tell you what. He just wants to raise his ugly head up all the time. He wants to come right up out of that grave and just kind of make sure that we're aware that he still exists. Over in Romans chapter 6 again, just a few verses down, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So on the one hand, uh, our old man has been crucified. Well, on the other hand, uh, we have to be diligent to resist the flesh, to purposely yield our members or our body parts as instruments of righteousness. Now we're saved. We get that. We're forgiven. We're accepted of God. But still, we face life battling with this flesh, battling this sin. Boy, it is a battle indeed, isn't it? A real battle we face. And so we have spent some time discussing this battle, and we came to the point where we said, finally, what things can we do to overcome sin? And of course, we'll not take too long to, over to, to review this, but you've got to accept responsibility for your sin. You know, it's funny, you know, we talk about those folks that are with AA or some kind of group for those we would call, some people would call alcohol anonymous. We know biblically they're drunkards. But we, 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 we know that's what it's called. And the interesting thing about those STEP programs is that they find they really aren't as effective as they'd like them to believe. Matter of fact, when you just have a higher power you're trusted in, you're not trusting in the higher power. 
I'm sorry, but you know what? They do have an effect rate. I, I, I understand that. But so do drugs and alcohol. I mean, drugs, that you can take certain drugs to get rid of smoking too. But let me tell you something. I think it'd be a lot better if Jesus got the glory for it. Right? So nonetheless, I'm just saying, I'm just saying we need to deal with some of these things called sin. You have to accept responsibility. I like, though, what they do, though, in AA. You stand up and you say, well, this is actually not always scriptural, mind you. Let me just say why in a moment. But you stand up and you say something to this effect. Hi, I'm Mark O'Donnell, and I'm an alcoholic. Oh, that sounded funny, didn't it? But anyway, and, and they say those things. They admit they come right out and say, this is what the problem is, right? Well, I'll tell you what, there's something to that. That's important. And now let me say this. As a believer, you, you, you're lost and you're in sin and uh, you, know, you, uh, you, you are drunkard and you get saved. Let me ask you something. Are you a drunkard? Somebody says, yeah. Are you, are, are you going to have to forever, forever uh, fight the addiction of alcoholism? Absolutely not. No, you're freed. You're not a drunkard anymore. You're a drunkard. The only reason you're a drunkard is if you choose to be one now. You don't have to be bound by alcohol anymore. You don't have to forever be a drunk. And then just every day fight not to act out on your drunkenness. Because the Bible says, such were some of you. Now, I know we don't preach much about that anymore because we see so poor results in the Christian life. We see people that are supposedly supposed to be Christians that got saved or possibly they were Christians and they went into that kind of lifestyle. They come back out of it and we wonder what in the world's going on. Obviously, it don't work. What don't work? Christianity don't work. Here's the real problem. The real issue is this today, and I'm just going to sum it up real fast. We could probably close the service after this. The bottom line is this. There is no Christ in our solutions. There's no Christ in our prescription. We are physically in ourselves trying to overcome sin in our life, and we're not involving Christ in it. We'll talk Christ. We'll use the name Christ, but it's not Christ getting the glory because we're still trusting in a 12-step plan, a 10-step program, a 6-step program, but we're not really trusting Christ because in the end, who gets the glory anyway? A program does. It's not a program that's going to change your life, friend. It's going to be Jesus Christ. We better get that figured out. You've got to accept responsibility for your sin. And then you can't let sinful thoughts control your mind. Then we said, don't make provision for that flesh. Don't allow yourself to go easily toward it. Don't force yourself away. As we said here, you should, uh, uh, you should resist. You should flee. And then ultimately, you should just simply avoid. Number four, realize that you're dead to sin in Jesus Christ. Dead men can't sin. Dead men don't sin. And the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 6, we already discussed it, and we could read more about it, that we're dead in Christ. We have to reckon that to be so. We have to reckon the truth of God's word to be true in our life, and then we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. Look at what it says. Well, I'm not going to go there. All right, then we have this uh, element here. We have number five, judge yourself and sin. Judge yourself and sin. Number six, confess your sins to God. We talked about that for a while. And we said how important that was. And then finally we said last week, hide, hide God's word in your heart to battle sin. Hide God's word in your heart. And we said it's important to realize that the key to peace and rest is not the absence of crisis, but the presence of Christ. 
And then we said in the book of John, chapter 5, verse 39, for search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So if we want to address this sin, we want to address the battles in our life, then we're going to have to address them by finding Christ. Where do we find Christ? We said, well, well, you better mind the scriptures. Not mind, M-I-N-D, but mind, M-I-N. You got to go digging into the word of God. You got to find Christ in the scriptures. You got to see him in the midst of them. You got to recognize his power and his, his anointing. You got to recognize that God alone is capable and able to help you and enable you to overcome sin in your life. Now listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I am convinced, I'm convinced after just a short time of our fast, and I haven't picked up really yet from that. I've kind of continued that, and, and I'm, I've, I've, I'm not going to say I haven't watched any TV since, but I'm going to tell you something. My outlook is changing little by little just because of the, the lack of influence that television's had in my life lately. Because with the lack of television in my life, you know what else there is? There is an increase of other kind of influence. Now that, that's what I'm finding out. And here's what I'm really finding out is that it's very hard to change how I act when nothing ever changes on how I feel and what I'm thinking about. If my mind is focused on what I'm thinking about and it's, it never changes what I think about, what I allow to inundate my mind, what I allow to saturate my heart, if that nothing changes with what comes into my life, then nothing is going to change as a result of my life. My life's not going to change this way. See, if I'm allowing it in here, it's going to go to there, and it's coming out here. If I don't change what comes in here, then this stays the same, and so does this. And I'm convinced that in Christianity today, we war with sin more than ever before because we're still not allowing. We have not recognized that so much of what we allow in here is detrimental to how we feel in here and affecting how we act out here. Okay, now again, I, I'm not, someone says, what are you advocating? I'm not advocating anything except you better change what's going in if you want something to change on the way out. That's what I guess I'm saying. And we're not seeing that change in our lives. Why? Because we're unwilling to give up things that we've always had in our life because that's just normal, it's natural, and it's, it's just the way life is. But unfortunately, it's not going to help you if you want to change. You've got to mind the Word of God, and then you've got to meditate on it, and then you have to memorize it. And that's important. How much time are we spending in the Word of God? And we talked about that, so we're not belabor it. But really, realistically, how much of this gets into here? How, how much of this gets into here? You know, I've got a book of the month club with my singles, and I keep warring with them, and I keep trying to encourage them all the time. Invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. What do I mean by that? Invest spiritually in yourself. And yet so many of them will not read the books that I'm, that I'm sharing and saying, let's read this book. You know what I'm telling you? They're not changing what's coming in here then. So I promise you, this ain't going to change out here. You won't change anything in your life till, this cha- till what goes in here changes, and, and that'll affect this right here. And we're trying to change this without changing this. And this doesn't change unless we change what comes in. Amen. And that is a reality of life. It's a reality. And so why is the word of God so valuable and so important? Because it is, is life. And it's where we find Christ. And he is the life changer. See, you changing your behavior will never be enough. God needs to change you. 
and he needs to change me. He's the one that's the changer. We talk about a game changer. Jesus is the game changer. He is the game changer. And so as long as we fail to allow him to influence us the way he ought to, the way we need him to, then I promise you we're still going to be in the same battles we were a year ago. Or we'll still be in the same battle a year from now that we are now. And five years from now. And ten years from now. If we change nothing, why in the world would we expect a different result? You know, you've heard the term over and over again. You know, what's the, uh, the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. It's ridiculous. We all know it now. But we all still do it. We bang our head against the wall. Why can't I overcome this in my life? How's come I'm still depressed all the time? How's come I get discouraged all the time? How's come I can't get victory in my life? I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. What have you changed? What have you changed? How much more of this is getting put into your life? And how are you getting it in there? Don't be running off the internet listening to some internet preacher. You don't even know what he believes. Not only make sure you're in God's house, but you might want to just ask the preacher, hey, you got a good book I can read on that subject? You might want to go to the bookstore and say, hey, Mrs. Cavanaugh, you got anything good in our Christian bookstore? Because it's obviously been approved by our pastor. I want something that I know is going to help me, not something that's going to discourage me or something that's going to lead me astray. Is there any good thing on this area or this subject? Is there anything on the Christian life that might encourage me and help me? I want that as well. Plus, I'm going to increase my Bible reading and I'm going to start studying, doing word studies in the scriptures and I'm going to take that devotional and I'm going to start applying it. I'm going to change something about what's coming in here so that ultimately affects what's in here. Then it'll change what comes out here. But until we change something that's going in, my friend, don't expect anything to change on the outside. And that's why the word of God was so important. Number eight, and this is the new one, trust God's promises and allow them to motivate you, to cleanse you and fight your battles for you. You know, as we go through this whole area, we talk about so many different things over the course of these last weeks. Just this one section. I mean, when you, you think about it, what, you know, how can I overcome sin? And, um, you know, you don't allow simple thoughts to control your mind. Well, that's a biblical principle. We turned to the Bible and we found it to be expressed. You, you look, <clears throat> don't make provision for the flesh. That's a biblical principle. We turned to the Bible and we, we saw how to express that and how to live that and, and some of the, the way to apply that to our lives. Realize that you're dead in Jesus Christ. Hey, that's a biblical truth. Found in the book of Romans chapter six. And then, then we come all the way over here and we say, wow, okay, well, um, how about this one then? Um, judge yourself in sin. And that's in the Bible. Did you know that? That's in the word of God. And we looked at that in first Corinthians chapter 11. And then we went all the way over here. We went to confess your sins to God. Do you know where you find that? In the Bible, in the Word of God. And then we came to this spot here where we said, hide God's Word in your heart to battle sin. You know what? You had to have a Bible to figure that out. That's in the Word of God. And then now today, we're over here in chapter, in the eighth one here under this area of how to overcome sin in our life. Trust God's promises and allow them to motivate you, cleanse you, fight your battles for you. Can I tell you something? If you're trying to get victory over your sin without this book, my friend, you've lost already. If, if you still read your five minutes every morning like you've always had, and you're still bound by the sin that you've always had, my friend, nothing's going to change. Right. 
We're so frustrated and yet we're causing our own frustration here. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm just as guilty. Let me tell you, don't, I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at me here. And I'm wondering what in the world, Mark, you know, you need to fix this. You need to take care of that. You got to get c- control of that. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know, but man, this is so hard. Wow, it's a battle. Yeah, it's especially a battle if I change nothing in my life. Because, it, you know, I mean, let's face it. If you eat junk food every single day of your life, and then you pray to God to help you get skinny. How well is that going to work for you? I mean, honestly. And you know, we're taking all this junk food in spiritually, and we wonder why we can't grow spiritually, why we can't, why we can't lose the, the fat, so to speak, of the, of the fleshly life. So we change nothing about our diet, but we expect it to affect our outward appearance. Well, it doesn't work that way, does it? Trust God's promises and allow them to motivate you, cleanse you, and fight for your battles for you. So you got a whole separate message. We haven't even started the real one. Isn't that good? That's just blessing. That's a blessing right there. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I, 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 I don't know why, but my heart's just uh, burdened about my own sin. And I'm sure, just Father, as I look over the crowd, I know there's others like myself that are burdened about their sin. And Father, we want victory, and we don't want to give the flesh the victory. We don't want to allow our thoughts and our mind and our attitudes to rule us. Father, we want your word and your spirit and your mind to rule us. Help us, Lord, we pray. We need you desperately. Guide us now and help us. Bless this time, Lord, and help us to look to your word again. Because, Lord, really, there's only real freedom in Christ Jesus. The truth will make you free. So, Lord, help us, Father, just to see it now and then apply it. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Let's turn there. As we think about trusting God's promises and allowing them to motivate us, cleanse us, and fight our battles for us. Look at this. Trust God's promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. In that particular passage, we read these words. Having, therefore, these promises, dearly beloved... Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, I want you to notice what it says there. Having, therefore, these promises. What promises? I mean, what promises? I just read it, chapter 7, verse 1. Having, therefore, these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What promises? Well... They're the promises that were just spoken of prior to this chapter beginning in verse chapter 6. Look at chapter 6, verse 14. Chapter 6, verse 14. Notice what it says here now. Again, he's talking about some promises, having therefore these promises. Well, we've just hit chapter 7, so he's got to, he must have shared with us something. He must have given us something, and here he gives it to us. Be ye not, verse 14, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? 
And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, before we even attack that passage, even in the slightest, I want to look very, very carefully at a phrase in verse 17 that could create a little bit of a problem for some, uh, that especially we're looking for a reason why you can lose your salvation. But it simply says, I will receive you. Now, again, he said earlier already, and I don't want to get into all the detail of it, but notice ye are the temple of the living God. He already made that statement as God has said. Ye already are, already. See, ye are the temple of the living God. That means God already lives in you, okay? So now when he says this idea, I will receive you then, at this point in chapter 17, this is not a recipe for salvation that he's offering us. It is a requirement for fellowship. And that's important to understand there. So God is saying, basically, separate yourselves from those who are in compromise or complicity with evil. Do not allow yourself to be involved with them. Separate yourself from those whose desires, motives, and actions reflect or mirror that of the world. And he goes on to say that the reward of that, the reward of that kind of separation is the full blessing of God's fatherhood in our lives that God's fatherhood will be made manifest in our lives. That we will recognize and enjoy God as our Father if indeed we will separate ourselves from this world and from those who are not distinctly Christian in their attitude and actions. More specifically, notice what he says here in chapter 16, or verse 16, right off the bat. He, notice he says, Basically, simply this, that the promises, that he promises that God is in us. That's a good promise, that God's in us, isn't it? That's pretty good. So chapter 16, right off the bat, uh, verse, chapter 6, verse 16, he says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the living, ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. So guess what? The promise that God is in us is found right there in that passage. He's in us. If you know Christ as your Savior and Lord. Not only that, but in the latter part of verse 16, we read, he says, And I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The promise that God is our God and that we are his people is found right there. So not only does he promise that he's in us, but he says, listen, not only that, but, but I am your God, and, and you are my people. Notice what else he says, here in chapter verses 17 and 18, I'm not going to read them, but he's basically saying that the, there's the promise that we're not only saved, but that he will be a father to us and he will, we will enjoy unbroken fellowship with him and he will deal with us as sons and daughters if we will not be unequally yoked and if we will not, if we will separate from those kinds that are in contrary to Scripture. 
He says, now I'm going to treat you that way. I'm going to, I'm going to allow you the privilege of, my, of fatherhood here. I'm going to uh, receive you. Oh, yeah, I understand, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even that believe in his name. I understand that. But, boy, I'll tell you one thing. You can run from mom and dad in your life. You can disobey and rebel against your parents. And may I say, they won't be able to be much of a father to you or much of a mother to you if you're off somewhere else in the pigsty. But when you turn around and you say, God, I'm going to separate myself from this present world and I'm not going to associate with the kind of, 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 of people that are going to try to drag me away from you or, or going to be in, in opposition to you and your word, I'm not going to allow them to influence my life. I'm going to separate myself unto you. I'm not going to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ and I'm going to do my best to be separated unto him. He says, listen, I'm going to promise you this. I'll be a father to you and you'll be like sons and you'll be like daughters to me and I'll come into you and I will meet your needs and, and, and touch your lives as only a daddy can. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 says, having therefore these promises. These promises. Having therefore these promises. Those were the promises that he's talking about in chapter 7. There's those that we find in chapter 6. And he goes on to say, these, he says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He's saying as a result of the fact that God is our God and that we are his people, we should cleanse ourselves from all filth then. He's saying having therefore these promises, knowing that God is there for us and knowing that he will be a father unto us and knowing that he loves us in spite of ourselves and he's there for us, we ought to just say, listen, I'm not going to allow myself to sin. I'm not going to permit myself to walk in evil. I'm going to go ahead and do my very best, humanly speaking, with God's spirit and his presence and his power in my life to be clean. As a result of the fact that we're not only saved, but we can experience that unbroken fellowship with our Heavenly Father and enjoy that holiness that comes in a right relationship with Him. In light of the fact that God will deal with us, as we said, as sons and daughters, as a result of all of these promises, these promises ought to move us. They ought to motivate us to live holy, to live separated, to live clean lives on His behalf. So as we become more acquainted with the promises of God throughout the Word of God, those promises should and will move us. When we recognize and realize what God has done for us and all the many promises that He extends to us, we start to realize that, man, I mean, for a sinner that deserves hell, God's sure a good daddy to me. And he's sure meeting my needs. And He cares about me. And man, I I don't want to hurt Him. I want to please Him with my life. You know, you can count on the promises of God. You know that, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, the Bible says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 Paul, the servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, 
the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. You can trust God. I can trust God. He always keeps his word. One of my favorite passages is found in the book of Psalm, chapter 18, verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. But I'll tell you what, the result of God's great and precious promises, the result of those promises in our lives as believers means that we are going to have a new life in Christ. A life that can be void of condemnation, of course, and free from the stronghold of corruption in our life. You find verses, turn if you would to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. What a powerful verse this is. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. It says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Again, these promises, these great and precious promises. We read them throughout the Word of God. We are confronted by them on a regular basis if we're in the Word consistently. And those promises ought to motivate us. They ought to move us. And as we recognize and see everything that God has done and everything God wants to do and everything God will do, it ought to make us say, man, i got to get this right. i got to do the right thing. I want to separate myself from the world. I don't want to be mixed up with them. I want God to be able to treat me like a father. And I want him to be able to wrap his arms around me. I know I'm saved already. And I know I'm part of the family. But I want God to be able to treat me like a son or like a daughter. So when we appropriate the promises of God, we are on the course, we are on a course for joy and a course for blessing. And that's something God is so happy to do for us as a father. What dad doesn't want to be a blessing to his son or daughter? What dad doesn't want to give the best things to daughter and son? Of course, every daughter wants, every, every father wants to be able to do that. Give them the best things. You know what? God wants to do that for us. And I don't know about you, but as a child, we ought to say, well, you know what? I'm going to put myself in a position to receive the best things. And as a child of God, we ought to do the same. Again, never forget how important it is that faith follow fact. It's so easy, again, to follow our emotions, to allow ourselves to kind of slip away in how we feel instead of what the Bible says. The Bible is uh, uh, the word of God. That's very distracting, by the way. I'm very distracted by that, ladies. I don't appreciate that. But the, the fact is, is that, is that God, and I lost my train of thought. We have to follow our, the, the facts, okay? So we have the word of God, and they are facts. And so, as we said before, our faith must follow the facts. The facts are found in this book, the Word of God. That's where they're found. And I'm telling you, it's so easy to doubt this book. And we'll say we believe it, and we'll say we follow it, but the truth is we don't always, do we? We don't always. 
Because our feelings say, you can't trust that. And what they're really saying is, you can't trust him. So you're going to have to compromise in this area in order to make things work the way you feel they ought to work. Never, ever dismiss God's word. Always follow the facts with your faith. Do not follow them with your feeling, because the moment you turn to your feelings, you're lost. You're going to be in a mess. Those facts right there, if you will follow those facts by faith, you will always end up right with God. And so will I. It's when we start following our emotions we get into a mess. I want to encourage you to be very careful. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. God was without sin. If he gives us a promise, if he tells us you do this, this is the result, then you ought to believe him. He's been through it. He knows exactly what we're dealing with and what we're going through. He can help us. We just got to follow him by faith. And he goes on to say, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, we got these promises. Let's go to God. He promised he'll meet our needs. He promised he'll be there on our behalf. He promised that we died with Christ that day on Calvary. He promised that we rose again to walk in newness of life. We got to believe by faith and we have to appropriate those truths. May God help us to do just that and get victory over our sin. The mercy and grace we need is found in the presence of Christ. And I'll tell you what, it starts in the Word of God, and it continues on our knees in His presence. We've got to get in His presence. Trust God's promises. Allow them to motivate you, to cleanse you, and to fight your battles for you. It would be amazing if we'll just turn it all over to Him and say, God, I can't get victory over this. So guess what? I know what's coming in is all messed up i got to change that. So, Lord, you're going to have to help me. Show me what's right and wrong. Show me what I should and shouldn't allow in because I want it to affect my heart because I know until that heart is affected, my hands will continue to do what they've been doing all along. So help, may God help us to get victory over our lives and over our sin. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. Lord, we are needy. Father, we can't do this without you. Lord, I just pray.